King Kamsa ordered Keshi and Akura to go to Raja on the ecstasy of the dark fortnight, Krishna Paksha, on the Vedic month of Falguna. The next morning, Keshi was killed in Vrindavana by Krishna. Akura set off for, all for Raja and Narada praised Krishna. In the afternoon, Yomasura was killed and at dusk, Akura entered Raja. Tamarati means the night of ecstasy. Akura is described as greatly intelligent, Mahamati. Because he stayed up the whole night in Lakadasi, discussing the glories of Krishna and worshiping him. The next morning, without even breaking his Lakadasi fast, Akura left Mathura. Okay, I'm going to read now from Sanatana Swami. Narada, although the greatest devotee, had requested the Lord to go to Mathura to kill Kamsa Api. Akura, although a great devotee, Cha, departed for Raja, or Cha can mean but. This indicates that though the Lord did not want to go, he went because of the insistence of two great devotees, so that would be Narada and Akura. Akura departed after passing the night during which Kamsa had given his instructions. Nishi, Sinita, Mukayam, Maturayam, Janadipa. He spent the still quiet night in Mathura, which is the Vishnu Purana. Previously, it is said that Kamsa had entered his house. Mathura was famous as the place where the great demon Madhu had lived. So that's that was the Sanskrit, right? It was Madhupuram, the city of Madhu, or it was the city of the Yadavas coming from the Madhu dynasty. Of course, and notice this with the acharyas, right? They'll often look at part of the Sanskrit and say it could mean this, or it could mean this, or it could mean this. Of course, spent the night there. He expected to see Krishna and Gokula after he came from the forest in the afternoon, or it was not possible to go into the forest at night since he did not know the path. Hari Vamsa says, "Tasmin eva mohorte tu madhuraya sanhiryayo." At that moment, Akura, after getting instructions with full affection, left Mathura to see Lotus-eyed Krishna. This is from a different kalpa. So we also have this situation going on a lot. Also, that there'll be different descriptions and different shastras of the same stories, and often the different descriptions are from some similar repetition of that story in a different. So this is from a different kalpa. Or Kamsa spent the whole night talking with the yadavas till morning arrived, and then gave orders to Akura. So again, we're getting alternate understandings. Then Akura departed. Akura was highly intelligent since he desired to see the Lord. He situated himself on the chariot supplied by Kamsa. When the Lord mounted the chariot, Akura would be the driver. He departed with the expectation of fulfilling his desires, prayayo, going to Raja, the residence of all the cowherds, Nanda, or he went to Nanda's cowherds to see Krishna and separate Krishna from them, or Akura went to Gokula, which gave Akura bliss, Nanda. So here, Sanatana Goswami is giving quite a different explanation of Nanda Gokula that he's saying instead of it being the place of Nanda. But the place where one would find Ananda, the place where uh, Akura would find bliss. Although he was not cruel, Akura, and although he was intelligent, Mahamati, he intended to take Krishna from Gokula. This expresses Sukadev's lamentation. And I'm going to also read 
Jiva Goswami's commentary. I offer respects to Akura, who served Kamsa on some pretext in order to see and serve his Lord. That's interesting, isn't it? Right? Then Akura figured, if I serve Kamsa as demon, it will give me an excuse to see Krishna. The word cha indicates that Krishna became eager to go to Mathura when he heard from Narada that he would kill Kamsa. Thus, Akura became eager to go to Praja. So here we have a kind of interplay that Narada expresses to Krishna, you're going to kill Kamsa, then Krishna gets eager to go to Mathura, and then Akura gets eager to go to Raja to help Krishna fulfill his desires of going to Mathura to kill Kamsa. Or, so here we have another, again, different explanation, or Api can indicate that though Kamsa had sent Keshi, he also sent Akura. He was instructed by Kamsa and then spent the night in Mathura. Harivamsa says that Kamsa in the night called all the Yadus in Mathura and Akura and, and Akura and told Akura to go to Raja. Then it says, it's the same thing that Sanatana Goswami quoted, so I won't Sanskrit again. At that moment, Akura, with full affection, left Mathura to see Lotusite Krishna. Previously in Bhagavatam, it was said that Kamsa entered his inner chambers after speaking to Akura, and Akura went to his own house. The stories are from different kalpas. So this is the same thing that Sanatana Goswami said, although Sanatana Goswami said, again, here we're having, again, another alternative. Or, Kamsa spent the whole night discussing with the Yadavas until morning, and then sent Akura. Akura's mind was filled with bhakti, Mahamati. So this is another explanation of Mahamati. Sukadeva did not want to relate how Krishna would leave Raja, since it was a cause of distress to the people of Raja. Thus he dwells simply on the devotional qualities of Akura. So what, it was a very considerate thing there that Sukadeva was doing. He departed Prayayo. Though Gokula was well known as belonging to Nanda, Sukadeva specifically mentions his name because he had a sudden internal realization of its special nature. So yet another reason for calling it Nanda Gokula. Shisuka Uvacha Akura Pichatam Ratrim Madhupuriya Mahamatihi Ushitva Ratam Astaya Prayayo Nanda Gokulam. Sukadeva Goswami said, after passing the night in the city of Matura, the high minded Akura mounted his chariot and set off for the countered village of Nanda Maharaj. So as I said, I'm going to be focusing on this word Mahamatihi, having being very intelligent. So what does it mean to be very intelligent? So often we think of very intelligent as somebody like Albert Einstein. Right? That's kind of our epitome, isn't it? He's the, he's the poster child for very intelligent. And we think of very intelligent often somebody who has a very high IQ, uh, maybe someone who's made some great scientific discovery, right? Or somebody who can think out of the box, so Einstein fits all of those categories. He was a very lateral thinker, and he made a discovery, right? The theory of relativity had a very high, high IQ. You know, or we think of somebody as very intelligent, perhaps, um, if, they're able, if they have various skills in the world, like if they know how to deal with the world. We talk about emotional intelligence, right? Or if they're very talented in some way, we can say that they're very 
intelligent. And so what does it mean here that a Quora is very intelligent? What is actual intelligence? Well, this is an important question because Krishna speaks a lot in the Bhagavad Gita about buddhi. Yes? Buddhi yoga, which Srila Prabhupada often just translates as Krishna consciousness. And the literal meaning of buddhi yoga is, of course, the yoga of intelligence. So one might think, well, you know, the buddhi yoga, so we should all go to, you know, Oxford and and Princeton, and, and get a, a doctorate there in philosophy, and may, you know, have some great invention, and that's what great intelligence means. And so what does it mean here? We have several definitions given by our acharyas, and I was going to look at three definitions given by our acharyas for how Akura was very intelligent, and then I'm going to look at also how Sukadev Goswami although this verse is referring to Akura as being intelligent, and that, of course, Sukadeva Goswami was speaking the verse, so he's not going to say, I'm very intelligent, uh, but how Sukadeva Goswami is also very intelligent. So Sanatana Goswami says that Akura was considered highly intelligent since he desired to see the Lord. His desire to see the Lord was an indication of being very intelligent. And obviously, this kind of intelligence is not the same as the sort of intelligence that we associate with someone like Einstein. Right? It's a very different kind of intelligence. Srila Prabhupada tells a very funny story in this regard. So there was one time a thief, and he was going around trying to find something to steal, and he happened upon a Bhagavatam class that was going on. So he stopped to listen to the class for a while, and the speaker of the class was describing Krishna's form. And anyone know exactly what he was describing? Describing Krishna's flute and also Krishna's jewels. He was describing Krishna's jewels. Now, Krishna's jewels are very extraordinary, right? He has his kastuba gem, which only he has. No other devotees wear the kastuba gem. All the living entities it said, are residing in this kastuba gem, which has an engraving of a calf on it. So he's describing a kastuba jewel, and Krishna, of course, wears pearls, not like the kind of pearls you get today. Today, if you go to, you know, any of the jeweler stores, Zales or whatever jeweler stores there are, and you buy a pearl, they've taken oysters and put them in a cage, and they've stuck uh, round plastic balls in the oysters. Did you know that? And the oysters just cover that with nacre, and there's a thin layer of nacre on it, and they consider that to be a pearl. That was first developed in Japan. And there's very few places in the world now where you can get a real pearl, where it's nacre all the way through, made naturally by the, by the oyster. Like in Bahrain, you can get real pearls. In fact, it's illegal to bring cultured pearls into Bahrain. And I remember once uh, stopping by a jewelry store there, and there was a pearl necklace, three strands of pearls, all genuine pearls, worth $500,000. Imagine that. Imagine the kind of people who can spend half a million dollars on one piece of jewelry. Just imagine that. You know, what kind of money they must have. So this is the kind of jewels Krishna was wearing. Right? I mean, for us... Like if you spend, you know, $10 on neck beads or something. We consider if you're going to get fancy neck beads and spend $50. But so Krishna's wearing real pearls worth a half a million dollars. 
pretty good heist, right? And he's just a little kid. And the Bhagavatam speaker was describing that Krishna's just this little child. You know, and again, today, we don't put real jewelry on our children, usually, right? Imagine that, putting real jewelry. We, even today, the adults don't usually wear real jewelry. Prabhupada talks about how we're very proud of our modern civilization, but we're just wearing plastic. Right? Fake jewelry. And the Krishna wasn't just wearing jewels and his kastupa jewel. He's also wearing real rubies and real emeralds and real diamonds and solid gold. You know, today you just get like 14 karat gold, half gold. So this thief was very desirous. Well, this is an easy haul. You know, I'll go to Vrindavan, I'll just take this little child, and I'll be a multimillionaire. So he was intensely wanting to see Krishna. He had this intense, intense desire to see Krishna. So he went to Vrindavan and he's like, Where's Krishna? Where's Krishna? Where's Krishna? And because of this intense desire, little Krishna appeared before him. And indeed, he was covered with these millions of dollars worth of jewels. Probably had, you know, like $50 million worth of jewels on. Actually, elsewhere, Prabhupada talks about how we can understand how wealthy Nandamaraj was just by having, you know, cows and milk products. So, the thief is looking at Krishna and he's like, wow. And he forgot, actually, uh, what he came for. He became so overwhelmed by the beauty of the Lord. A little, he's just a little child and he says, may I help you? What would you like? And then he remembers and he says, can can I have some of your jewelry? And Krishna says, I can't give you my jewelry. My mommy will be angry with me. She'll be upset. And the thief was so charmed that he became a pure devotee of the Lord from this intense desire to see Krishna. And young protocama sankhya even if our desire to see Krishna is tainted with something else, uh, still one can attain prema. It, it's a very good thing that that's the case because most of us don't intensely desire to see Krishna to serve him. Right? But Akura was intensely desiring to see Krishna to serve him. So how intelligent is he? He's thinking, let me fulfill the desires of the Lord. As soon as Narada Muni convinced Krishna to go to Mathura, you can go to Mathura to kill Kamsa. Oh, good! Let me go to Mathura to kill Kamsa. Then Akura was like, let me facilitate the desire of the Lord. So he wanted to see Krishna, not just to enjoy the bliss of seeing Krishna, but to serve Krishna. Let me see the Lord so that I can render some service unto him. So this is the most intelligent. And why is it the most intelligent? And I talk about this a lot. And this is like when Vamandeva went, went to Bali. And he says, I want three paces of land. And Bali said, you're not very intelligent. He said, if you're intelligent, you should ask me, who control the universe, for something so wonderful that you'll never have to ask anybody for anything else ever. So isn't that the most intelligent thing to desire? The most intelligent person would desire something 
that would fulfill all of their desires. And people think like that in this world. You know, if I got $10 million in the lottery, or, you know, if I marry the right person, or if I get the right job, or if I buy the right house, that would fulfill all of my desires, yes? Then I would just be satisfied. But what really satisfies us is this loving service to Krishna. There's nothing else that satisfies us. It takes care of everything. I was driving my grandkids to the airport this morning. I had to wake up at like 2 o'clock in the morning, drive there and back. And I was realizing that I hadn't driven at night for a very, very, very long time. I think it's been years maybe like three years since I was driving at night. And it's scary. Driving at night is scary, especially if you haven't done it in a long time. And the whole drive there, the whole drive back, I was feeling fear. And when I got back, I was feeling exhausted from being you know, in a state of alert for all of that time. And I was thinking, suppose instead of trying to protect myself, my, myself, my body, and the car, because I'm afraid of getting in an accident, suppose I was just as careful because I had love. But suppose I loved Krishna so much that I wanted to take care of his car, and I loved Krishna so much that I wanted to keep this body which belongs to him safe for his service. Suppose I was filled with love instead of fear then I would also drive very carefully, but I would come back from the ride feeling enlightened. And I'd come back from the ride feeling enthused instead of exhausted. And it just, Prabhupada talks about this in the preface to the Nectar Devotion, to flick that one switch that lights up everything. So if we love Krishna and we want to serve him, then all of our other problems are solved. All of our physical problems, all of our psychological problems, all of our relationship problems, all of our all of our problems. Because as soon as we're motivated by loving service to Krishna, then everything that we do fills us with enlightenment. Everything we do fills us with happiness naturally as a byproduct. So therefore, Kura was the most intelligent. Now, Jiva Goswami says that Kura was the most intelligent because his mind was filled with bhakti. So this is kind of a little step further than what Sanatana Goswami is saying. You know, mati means your, your mind, your intelligence, but also means your consciousness. So this is not just to, I want to serve Krishna, I want to see Krishna, but it's a constant absorption. You know, it's very interesting that Rupa Goswami describes bhakti, sadhana bhakti, as to always think of Krishna and never forget him. That is the definition of sadhana bhakti, to practice always remembering Krishna and never forgetting him. The definition of, not, of sadhana bhakti is not, I do this external thing and that external thing. The purpose of the external things is so we will always remember Krishna and never forget him. Just like Prabhupada said, you're worshiping the deity, so anytime during the day you can remember the deity. We're chanting Hare Krishna to remember Krishna. So one may think, well, let me see Krishna, let me serve Krishna, but my consciousness might not be absorbed in loving devotional service. 
Isn't that possible, right? I can have some moment where I could think, let me serve Krishna. I mean, I definitely have my moments in the International Society for Krishna Consciousness where I thought, I really want to serve Krishna. But that's different from being fully absorbed. Right? Saturated. Just like you're, if you're cleaning the floor and there's something spilled on the floor and your cloth, your sponge, whatever, becomes saturated, becomes like dripping with bhakti, with this... Uh, so this is ultimate intelligence. And of course, Vishnu Chakravati Thakur, he comments on this statement of Rupa Goswami that one should always remember Krishna and never forget him. And he said, well, this kind of injunction for the neophyte is going to seem very intimidating. If you say bhakti begins with always remember Krishna and never forget him, the neophyte is going to say, I can't do that. My mind is always going somewhere else. What Arjuna complained about with his sangya or chanchala himana Krishna. And indeed, the same Krishna Chakravati Thakur in his Madhurya Kadambani, when he's talking about the stages of bhakti, he talks about you get to nishta. Nishta means steady, fixed. And he talks about that the mind, the words, the body, and then the character all become fixed. But even at Nishta, he says the mind is going to tend to deviate from thoughts of Krishna. Not only just at Nishta, but at Ruchi. At Ruchi, where one has a taste, first of all, when the elements are nice, you know, if the kirtan singer has a melodious voice, and later... One has a taste even if the kirtan singer doesn't have a melodious voice. Even at Ruchi, one's mind will tend to veer from Krishna. But one can bring it back. One can bring it back. And Nista, one can bring it back with some effort. At Ruchi, one brings it back with less effort. But it's not until a Shakti, which is the doorway of Baba, that one's mind naturally goes to Krishna. It's only at a Shakti that if somebody starts talking about, you know, there's a war going on here, or look at what this politician did, or this person won the football game, that your consciousness goes back to Krishna. Whereas before that, it's the opposite. Someone's talking about Krishna, and your mind goes to these other things. Everybody follow? So this is true. This is the higher stages of sadhana, nishtha is liberation. So how can you say to the beginner in bhakti, always think of Krishna and never forget him? And so Vishnu Chakravati Thakur says, this means that at least you have a certain time of day where you're focused every day that I'm going to think of Krishna now. So I have my Japa time, I have my Gayatri time, I have my deity worship time, I have my Shastra time, and at least at that time, I'm going to always think of Krishna. At least I have a time. This is going to be my time that I'm going to focus on thinking of Krishna with the idea that eventually one will always remember Krishna. So Akura was the most intelligent because he is always thinking of Krishna. It's not just when Kamsa calls him and just when he goes, we're about to get into how Akura is meditating on Krishna on the way to Vrindavan. One of my favorite parts actually of the Bhagavatam. How Akura is preparing his consciousness to enter the Dhamma. And Prabhupada will write there in Krishna book that one does not go to Vrindavan by purchasing a ticket. 
that the actual process of entering Vrindavan is shown here by Akura. And my favorite part of that is where Akura says, and the Lord Krishna Balaram, they will call me uncle Akura, and thus my whole life will be successful. And Prabhupada writes in Krishna book, if one is not seeking to be recognized by Krishna, his whole life is condemned. And I really like that because to me it's the secret of practicing the Trinata Pupers, that the only way I cannot expect respect from other jivas is if I'm feeling that from Krishna. But anyway, it's not just that when Akura is going to Vrindavan, he's in that absorption. You know, I may be in that absorption, okay, I'm on the plane, I'm going to Vrindavan, where am I going to go? What am I going to do? What service am I going to do? But Akura is like this all the time. Therefore, he's Mahamati. Now, Vishnu Chakravati Thakur, in his commentary, says that Akura is Mahamati because he stayed up all night on a Kadasi discussing Krishna's glories and worshiping him. So it's interesting, Vishnu Chakravati Thakur is directly relating the Mahamati to the Madhupuri, Madhupuri Amrati that he stayed that night in Mathura, and that it was a Kadasi night. So, of course, this is the traditional way to observe a Kadasi, to fast from food, water, and sleep. No eating, no drinking, no sleeping. And to stay up all night, the night of a Kadasi, and to be chanting the glories of the Lord and talking about the Lord. So we used to run a school here. Um, maybe some of you remember our student Kitri. So um, official name was Corpanima, but nobody called him Corpanima. So I remember that we did that. We all stayed up all night in the Kadasi. We didn't have any food or water, and we had no sleep, and we were staying up all night uh, singing the glories of the Lord. And one time when I was in like Italy with the Pandavasena group, the youth group from the UK, so it was a Kadasi, and there were maybe 150 of them, and I think 30 or 40 decided they were going to do, you know, like 64 rounds during the day, and then we were going to stay up all night and do bhajans, and uh, so it was a wonderful, wonderful experience, and I'm sure some of you have been to like the 24-hour kirtans, where there's an all-night kirtan, and sometimes that's on Kadasi. So why is that very intelligent? Because uh, days like Akadasi, and we're coming up with Balaram Purnima, and uh, Janmastami, Vyaspuja, Rathastami, days like this, spiritual life is easier. It's just like a place like this, spiritual life is easier. Association like this, spiritual life is easier. So there's certain days, there's certain times. So just like I said, I was going to the airport this morning and I was saying to the, the kids, you know, I'm not used to driving at night. And so Sri Arjuna said, well, maybe you should just park at the airport until sunrise and then drive back. And I said, no, what's nice about being out this early is there's no traffic. The roads are just open. Right? If you've ever, if you've ever I'm sure all of you, driven during a traffic jam, Right? And the difference between driving someplace during a traffic jam and driving someplace when nobody's on the road. So these special days, it's like you're driving with nobody on the road. You just have a clear road. So these special days are just like that. It's, it's easier. It's just like early morning is also easier. 
you know, I had a couple of students on Ritten Radhe who wanted to study Ayurveda, so in order to have them study Ayurveda, I had to study Ayurveda. And one of the things we learned is that the different modes are active at different times of the day. And there's a certain time of the day when all the modes are in equilibrium. Then after that, sattva becomes dominant. So at those two times when all three modes are in equilibrium and sattva becomes dominant, it's easier to execute spiritual life. Right? We all experience this. And then rajas becomes active. You can feel it. You feel like, I'm supposed to get things done, right? I'm supposed to get things done. And as it gets to the middle of you, again, you feel like that. I have to be productive. And then it gets toward the end of the day and Thomas becomes active. And you're like, I don't really feel like being productive anymore. I know, I just want to relax. Just want to chill. I'm just want easy, right? Everybody experiences this. Yes. So if one tries to do one's sadhana at the, when the proper time, the proper place, it becomes more efficacious. So therefore, a pro was very intelligent because he knew how to take advantage of the proper time and place. So we looked at three ways in which a kura could be called very intelligent. Does anybody remember what they were? Bhakti. He's saturated with bhakti. That's from jiva. Sanatana Goswami said he was very intelligent because he wanted to see Krishna. And Vishnu Chakrabarti Thakur says he's very intelligent because he spent the Kadasi night glorifying the Lord. Alright, I also want to look at, wow, Sukadeva Goswami is very intelligent, although that's not the focus of this verse. So I like how Jiva Goswami says that Sukadeva suddenly realized the special nature of Raja as belonging to Nanda. So as he's describing Raja, there were so many explanations was given by our Acharyas as to why Raja here is called Nanda Gokulam. But I really like the one that as Sukadeva Goswami is speaking, he suddenly has this inspiration, this realization. Oh, it's, it's Nanda Maharaj's goal. And so he speaks of it like that. And all of us who are preachers, and all of us here are, are preachers in one way or another, uh, we have this experience, isn't it? That we're writing something. Gopal Krishna Priya was just sharing with us some wonderful things she recently Wrote, you know, we're writing something or we're speaking, and all of a sudden we have an inspiration, isn't it? Yes? We all have this experience? All of a sudden it's like, oh, yes! And Sadaputa wrote about this article called On Inspiration. So this is very intelligent when we've connected ourselves with the Lord and made ourselves available for this inspiration in Bhakti where Krishna can inspire us and speak to us, and where we can present Krishna consciousness according to that inspiration. Now, another way in which Sukadeva was very intelligent, it's explained that he didn't want to cause devotees distress, that Akura was going to Raja in order to take Krishna out of Raja. And so instead of focusing on that, he focused on Akura's good qualities. Now, of course, the residents of Rundava and the gopis ended up cursing Akura anyway. <laughs> so the tactic didn't work. <laughs> Therefore, Akura took a part of the uh, conspiracy to steal the Shani Taka jewel. 
But still, this is very intelligent to focus on the devotee's good qualities. And such should also be our behavior. Right? If we know that something's going to be upsetting, <laughs> we focus on people's good qualities and we glorify them rather than upset them. So hopefully by studying this, we can also become intelligent. I don't know if I'll ever become a maha, matihi, but at least a little intelligent. Prabhupada says if we follow the residence of Vrindavan, even to a minute degree, then our lives become successful. And that's one of the most Ashabanda quotes for me, the hope against hope. So if somehow we can just get a little particle of this intelligence of Sukadeva Goswami, and Akura and our lives become successful.